Welcome once again to our Squiggly at Encounters 2019 podcast, Minnesotes. Thank you for listening in to what is, alas, our final Q&A session with the attending animation filmmakers at this year's Encounters Film Festival, which wrapped up here in Bristol at the end of September. And it's been a real treat to be able to share these filmmaker insights with both the Encounters audience and, indeed, your podcast listening selves. They've been wonderful to conduct and listen back to, and this session is no exception. It's from the competition screening Animation 6, Fake News, a program that explored gender identity, sexual politics, racism, climate crisis, migration, the rise of fascism, the collapse of capitalism, and religious extremism. Not the cheeriest of curations, but captivating all the same. And we're going to be hearing from Steve Small of Studio AKA, director of several animated segments for the Netflix and BBC series Black Earth Rising, that were edited together into a nine-minute standalone piece depicting events around the Rwandan genocide and its aftermath. We also meet Stephen McNally, director of Where Do We Go From Here, alternately known as Most People Are Pretty Nice, a visually enchanting and ethereal short-film interpretation of Dutch historian Rutger Bregman's Royal Society of Arts talk on the subject of a universal basic income. Then Federico Matarazzo of H5 discusses his involvement in the production of Ludovic Hoplin's new film My Generation, an apocalyptic and hypnotic road movie that builds on themes and concepts introduced in the director's previous short, Logo Rama. Nama Nazaria tells us about his film The Magic Boat, an intimate insight into the relationship between a mother and her child in the midst of the most dangerous journey of their lives. And finally, Unju Choi discusses the coming together of her Royal College of Art graduation film, Happy Ending, which used real testimony from a Korean prostitute to explore the experience of being the subject of other people's pleasure. We're also joined by the film's composer, Rachel Phillip. So for one last time, let's hand it over to the filmmakers. Ladies and gentlemen, please enthusiastically welcome the attending filmmakers to the stage. So I guess to begin with, if we could go down the line, if you could all introduce yourselves, tell us your name and what your film was and what your role was on it. My name is uh, Steve Small, and I was the director of the animated inserts for Black Earth Rising. Steve McNally, I worked on, um, I directed uh, Where Do We Go From Here, the RSA film. Hi, I'm Federico Matarazzo, and I'm the producer of My Generation. Hi, I'm Naman Azhadi, and I'm the director and animator of The Magic Boat. I'm Aymara Choi, I'm the director of Happy Ending. So, Black Earth Rising, from what I understand, these were originally segments for a TV show, is that right? That's right, yes. Okay. How did that come about? Uh, we were approached by the director... Hugo Blick, Studio AKA, uh, that's the studio that I work at. We were approached by his production company and uh, he had previously made a couple of dramas which had been well received and uh, routinely dealt with very tricky uh, topics and uh, related to them with dramas. Uh, and he found that he wanted to tell these stories, which were reflective of events that occurred during the genocide, 
but uh, he didn't feel that he wanted to film them uh, for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons that I thought was interesting, and it's something that I think we've seen a lot of uh, on these pieces, he said that uh, people frequently become tired of images that they are familiar with, particularly if they're based on known events. Uh, and he said there was something about what he may film that the eye might instantly feel uh, the temptation to dispose of. And what he wanted, which I thought was interesting, was an opportunity for the eye to say, I I've never seen this, and then re-invite us to engage with the material. And curiously enough, I've seen that throughout every single one of mm. these films. I think we re-engage with tricky material if we haven't been given something that we think we've seen before. It sort of arrests preconceptions. Mm -hmm. So I, I was really taken by that. Fantastic. As far as what we're looking at um, in terms of the animation techniques and that sort of thing, it seemed to me like there was a, a few approaches at play, perhaps. Was there, it didn't seem necessarily like directly rotoscope, but it seemed like perhaps there was some performance reference in there. Um, yes, it, was, um, it, it had to sit alongside uh, live action. And because of the topic, I felt that there, I didn't want there to be a jump because it had to segue uh, in and out. Curiously enough, uh, it did use a, a variety of techniques, um, but uh, an animator uh, that was working on it, a friend of mine and I, we sat down and as we were busily animating these uh, many scenes by hand, uh, we looked at each other because when you start looking at reference, you, you start to learn the language of it. It's very strange. Even if it's realistic, you learn how things move and look. And, and we looked at one, and one another and he said, you know, everyone's going to think all of this is registered. <laughs> and it's, you, you just learn the language of it. So it, there's a variety, but I, I've actually said to friends of mine who haven't worked in it, I said, I, I challenge you mm. to pick 10 scenes and tell me how you think they were done and they won't get all of them right. Hmm. And I, I kind of like that. I like that blurring between uh, techniques. So Studio AKA, I'm sure a lot of people here are familiar with their fantastic operation. Uh, are you able to give us a kind of capsule summary of the work you do there? Um, the, I'm one of uh, several directors there, and basically we, uh, we take whatever brief comes through, through the door Whatever they, whatever that brief requires, we, we look at it and we say, okay, what can we bring to this? What can we create with this? And that means, and it's, it's a totally blank slate. Whatever comes through, we don't uh, we don't allocate it to a specific person. We basically say to everybody, hey, what have you got? Have you got anything in your back drawer that you've always wanted to bring to this? And, that, and that's great because it gives everybody an opportunity to try something out. So I haven't ever tried this out before. I'll have done a variety of different uh, projects and techniques, uh, but this was always something I had percolating mm. in the back of my mind. So that's pretty much how the studio works. It's, it's an open floor to anybody who feels they have an idea that's relevant. Mm. Excellent. 
Steve, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, Stephen, uh, where do we go from here? Now, this was adapted from, I think, a presentation by the RSA. Could you tell mm -hmm. us a bit about what the RSA are? Um, they're, well, I suppose I'm, I'm not really in the position to speak for it, but they, um, this, this particular segment is they have a series of cultural talks and they're trying to promote cultural conversation mm -hmm. across the spectrum of ideas. They're promoting discussion of ideas, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And they, they approach animators and illustrators with different um, segments from their talks to try and give a little nugget of it that, la that people can latch onto that promotes the, the work they're doing in promoting the discussion. So mm -hmm. they c came to me with with a few different pieces and we landed on this one. Excellent. I, uh, I remember, I think, an earlier film of yours screened here a few years ago. Uh, your RCA film, maybe? Yeah, probably. Um, and it's, it's interesting, this film, color palette-wise, and there's a certain atmosphere to it that reminded me of that film. I think it was called Meanwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of more developed design style, very contemporary, very now. Um, can you talk a bit about how you sort of visually de developed this film? Um... Oh, loosely, I suppose it began as a series of rough sketches. Um, responding to the the talk, I kind of latched on to the idea of a person being pulled from the Middle Ages into the modern day, mm -hmm. and then extruded that through a kind of Gulliver's Travels narrative of popping between different times and um, relating to society in different sizes and scales. Uh, that was the main thing. That, that drew me to it um, narratively, but then visually, I was trying to find a way that ties that all together in a quite relatable way. There was a little bit of calculation over trying to get something to work budget-wise, but also just something that, I wanted to stretch a little bit and do something that didn't feel like my other work as much. Sure. Um, you know, feel like playing a bit, yeah. rather than just doing the same thing all over again. Hmm. So, for a project like this, then, structurally, do you kind of take elements of the source audio and kind of create a script around that, or do you edit it? Or? I didn't edit it at all. They oh. give, give you the, the piece of audio as they have it, right. and then your job is to respond to it and basically construct your own idea of how you express that, maybe if it's going to be a bit more infographically, or in this case, I wanted to steer a bit clear of that and create my own little narrative. Mm. going on on the side. Cool. And are you rep by uh, Blink Inc? Yeah. Yeah, they're another uh, uh, group that I'm very sort of fond of, like artistically. Uh, what sort of other work do you do there or with them? Oh, we've been doing some development work on longer form pieces, um, always doing some commercial work, um, and then all sorts of odds and ends, really. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Stu. Okay. Uh, Federico? Thank you. Hello. Um, so... Hi. You worked with Ludovic Kaplan on this film? Oplan. Kaplan. Oplan. Oplan. How did you and uh, him get together? Well, it's quite funny. Uh, before, well, when I, I, used, I used to study in France, mm. and so at first I studied in Italy, then I moved to France to do a master, and I studied in Lille. Mm. And in Lille, I occasionally get into an association of students who did organize a film festival. This film festival is called Festival du Cinéma Européen. Mm. And so it's a European film festival in Lille, which was founded 35 years ago by a student associ association of 
uh, a university which is called EDEC Business, Business School. And I was at the EDEC Business School and, okay, uh, and when I was looking for a house, <laughs> I, f I found this, um, this place where other French students were living. Mm. And, and this house was the house of the association. So the president of the association, the general secretary, and all the selection committee was living there. So I, I moved there, and as I love films, I got into the association. And that year, Ludovic was a member of the jury of our festival. So mm -hmm. we met during the film festival, and then he, at the end of the festival, he told me, you know what, I, I, like, I like you, and I think you will like H5 Studio. So I need someone like you uh, in, in, at the studio. So he hired me for an internship that was in 2015. And because this is how H5 Studio works. So if you want to work in H5, you first need to do an internship. And then hopefully they, mm, yeah, well, you continue work for, for the studio. Mm. Uh, so this is how I met Ludovic. And so back in 2015, Ludovic was working on a new film after Logorama and after Money Time. And he gave me a file to, to try to do fundraising and to try to look for basically doing fundraising with the CNC or other French institution. And that's where I started to work on my generation. Uh -huh. Was this film originally kind of conceived, because I know it was in sort of collaboration with the musician, um, uh, Mirways. Thanks. Um, <laughs> was that originally kind of a music video or something a bit broader in concept? So actually, um, when Ludovic gave me the pitch in 2015, that was just an idea he had to create, uh, to do a new film. And he wanted to depict uh, like our society, the society in 2020s, Mm. Ten years later than Logorama. A year later, so no, six months later, was like in beginning of 2016, Mirways approached us and, to, and asked Ludovic to do a, a music video for his new album, who was supposed to came out in 2018. Still, the album has not came out yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mirways... Uh, told Ludovic, so my idea is that I would like to do a music video where we have a person who is driving into a direction. Mm. And only at the end of the film, we understand that this person is the only one who is driving in the good direction. And that's where Ludovic thought, well, you know what? Probably my, the, the, the film I have in mind is exactly what Mirwes is looking for. So we put the thing together and we started to work on a music video for Mirways. So we co-produced the video uh, Mirways with this production company and H5 Studio. And we didn't get any fundraising and you can of course understand why. <laughs> <laughs> was not quite easy to present such kind of topics to sure. public institution. So, <laughs> and, and so like when the film ended in, when we, we finished the whole work, it took 
two years, so it was in 2018 where, when we finished the whole video because it's all very complicated to create a full, a, a very proportioned scale uh, for all the words, you know, in, in animation, in CGI. So at that point, we, I, I told Ludovic, Ludovic, you know what, I, I really like this music video, but I think this kind of message deserves more. I think you should, I mean, we should work on something else. And, and he told me, yeah, Federico, it's true. So we spoke together with Mirways and Mirways said, okay, you know what? I'm gonna work on, some, on a different soundtrack. <laughs> so we had to wait six months that Mirways <laughs> did his research. And, and so this is why, so this is like the film version but we will this we consider this project as like a multiform project because now you are seeing you are looking at the film and in in 6 months i don't know when mirways will finish his album because he, he was supposed to finish in 2018 but still we have no news on it so you will see this video as, as a music video and we would like to do also like a, a kind of immersive exhibition. So we are working with the uh, uh, Galerie Perrotin. Uh, so I don't know. It, we think it's a multi-form project. Excellent. I look forward to seeing how that uh, turns out. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Cool. Uh, so moving on to the magic boat. Yeah, very powerful, very sort of resonant topic. Uh, how did you kind of get onto that subject matter? So I'm originally Syrian uh -huh. and uh, at first, a lot of friends told me not to make this because I think for one reason that you mentioned is it's been overly done and uh, um, you have a lot of documentaries and short films about Syrian refugees and I just felt like they were all more or less the same in a sense that they were all telling the stories of these people after they go through that journey of escaping home and um, and I just wanted to show their lives before and show how one person can go from normalcy to one day just, you know, out of your control, just like, um, and out of your choice, just be able to, um, to become a headline, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that was communicated, I guess. Absolutely. In terms of the production then, um this one also seemed to have, you know, a lot of rotoscopy or rotoscopy, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Um, so were you directing then the, the entire sort of film, but in live action first, or did you work with other people on that? Uh, yes, uh, it was uh, live action at first. And um, the actress that plays in my film um, is a woman who runs an organization that supports refugees around the Middle East and um, in Lebanon. Um, and uh, she really brought um, a lot of the mothers who escaped the war, like all of their stories, to life. Mm -hmm. um, and that process was amazing to be able to witness. And I knew I had to do it that way, go through the live action process first and have that as like a learning curve and then go through the animation um, um, which was also a great way to experiment and show all of like the metaphors and um, the different um, 
things that I couldn't convey just by doing it live action. Mm-hmm. And as far as you as an artist, what sort of background do you have? Is this, does this come after studies or is it independent film? Uh, yeah, so I graduated from uh, Goldsmiths two years ago, and uh, uh, I made another film that was also rotoscoped, and it was also about a mother and her son, um, but it was about a completely different issue. It was about uh, gun violence, and uh, yeah, and then two years later, I um, made this one. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is it Yunju? Uh, just call me Ara. Okay. Um, uh, was Rachel here as well? <laughs> if she'd like to join us, you're more than welcome. So, uh, yeah, this film is an RCA film. Yeah, I see. Um, was this made because we were talking to uh, one of the other RCA filmmakers and he was talking about his film being made as part of the newer documentary course? Was this part of that course as well? Yes. Okay, excellent. When you come into that environment then, did you have any inkling that you were going to eventually make a film about this particular subject? I mean, there's um, many reasons for mm. that I could say. I mean, there's um, from my personal experience and also my friend's experience. Also, I mean, there's so many reasons. Mm-hmm. And also personally, I grew up in the prostitute area, prostitute area in South Korea. And then, I mean, then when I was a child, I saw a lot of sex workers on the street. But I was a child, I didn't realize. Mm. And then, I mean, this experience affected um, my question about why this woman or, you know, going there and then, and then what they are doing and, then, and why many people, even the normal women, are uh, playing the, their lives. So they try to... I start. Um, I that's why I want to make this film, mm-hmm. but um, it was a very hard project because it's very. I research a lot of women's story and it's quite emotional. Mm-hmm. So at some point I want to give up, but um, but I have to. I, I really want to finish. I really want to show uh, this woman's story. So that's why sure. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was based on sort of actual testimonies then. Were these, did you sort of actively canvas for these testimonies yourself or did you kind of research uh, like pre-existing interviews? Actually, I also interview English sex worker in London. It's based in Kentown. And I interviewed the lady, but uh, it was kind of a long conversation. So it's talking about more uh, British political side. So, and then um, I couldn't bring that this story for a short film because it's a very complicated story. It's related to immigration, immigration uh, refugee, and feminism, and extra, extra. And then, coincidentally, I found this girl on Facebook, on Korean Facebook. And because there's another issue, because the Korean Facebook shut, uh, how can I say, like uh, shut down her base, her page, because okay. the Facebook thinking thought, uh, she she's prostitute, she's promoting the um, porno, but actually it was not. She wasn't talking about her life, just like a diary. Yeah. And then many people uh, did a petition, and then Facebook they recovered her page. However, they didn't apologize her, and then. Um, and then I saw the, this news and I read her story and then I tried to contact her. 
but it was not easy because I was in London and um, she's in Korea and also she didn't want to um, talk everything because she was so scared talking about her story because mm -hmm. she's, I mean, she's a very person, she's a very strong lady, but uh, she mental side, she kind of be scared of them talking to public. So I told, and then I asked her, okay, so I'm not gonna bring your voice, I'm gonna change your story, so it's okay. And then she said, yeah, so the choice I'm, I bring her story, but I changed it, I change it a lot. Visually, then, did you take on the bulk of the animation yourself? Hmm? Me? I'm yeah. oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Were yeah. you the, the main animator on the film? Yeah. I, I see. Okay. I put it by myself because uh, I didn't have a budget. <laughs> yeah. I'm still traumatized. <laughs> cool. Um, so then, I guess. Um, the two of you working together then to create the music, um, can you talk a little bit about that relationship and how your process was? Oh gosh. Um, uh, I suppose uh, my sort of preferred way of working, I guess, is um, really just being given a kind of core kind of sentiment and emotion. Mm. I tend to work quite well um, when someone sort of really clearly kind of gives you an idea of what they really want the audience to feel or um, what they want to kind of portray in the film um, and it's nice to sort of work without images I guess mm. um, the first place and really just sort of feel it out on a piano as it were um, to begin with um, but I suppose our initial discussions as well were um, you'd, I think you'd listen to a couple of my tracks and things and you sort of like this kind of dream, dreaminess um, which kind of I guess, matches the um, the vision of the animation which was this kind of um, very abstract um, not too literal mm. <laughs> um, um, portrayal of um, this woman's sort of internal battle monologue and um, really very sort of um, I don't know we, we've spoken about a lot of different things about how she um, sort of feels carrying out this work that yeah. um, she's there was various things mentioned about um, how she sort of values herself um, in having sort of this this sort of confused um, battle between sort of feeling like a sense of value from having provided pleasure for a man in this sort of world that she's in, um, combined with sort of the very grotesque and sort of sinister um, reality of it. Um, so I'm not, what else do we do? We talked we talk about loads of things. We had a you know. Obviously, as you go as well, um, you sort of give someone something yeah. and they sort of respond. <laughs> you know, you, that sort of did you forth, compose it sort of basically. mostly before the visuals were generated and then add on? or No, I mean, you'd sort of done an animatic yeah, uh -huh. by that stage. But I really went through the whole thing. Just I, I almost yeah. sort of did a track that <laughs> just gave it a a sense of the whole um, thing combined mm. and then we really cut a lot of it out and sort of broke it down really from there um, mm. and sort of picked out the bits that would work sort of um, we we defined where the music would be sort of after I'd come up with a concept I think after the discussions on sort of the core concept of the film Excellent. if that makes any sense <laughs> 
Thank you very much. Uh, I think we have a few minutes left. If there are any questions from the audience, uh, I can send this into the crowd. Sorry, I can't remember your name, but it's for the producer of uh, my generation. I don't know much about this area, but what, what do you do with copyright in a film like this? <laughs> That's a question they always ask me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no worries. Uh, it's normal. So actually, I, I don't know if you are uh, kind of familiar with the H5 studio work, but we are the studio who did Logorama in 2010, which basically raise the same issue you have here. So honestly, for this film, I, I, I repeated what we did in 2010. And the fact is that in France, you have the rights to, it is called uh, rights to political satire, which allows you to use logos or to quote people and in order to present a cultural project. So uh, this was told us by a lawyer, of course. So the first thing, when we did Logorama, well, the first thing we did was to contact a lawyer. And the first two lawyers we contact, they told us, no, no, guys, you are fool. <laughs> no, I, I don't, I don't want to work on this. <laughs> do, do your stuff. <laughs> but, okay. But the third one explained us that we could have put us in a position to use all the logos, and in my generation is kind of the same thing, uh, but we had to put under these particular French laws. So you can do this in France. Then, in order to be sure that no one take you into a trial, you have to hope that a big film festival screens you and maybe award you. So Logorama won a Kodak Prize at Cannes, won an Oscar, won a Caesar. So you know when you want, when you won, when you win an Oscar, nobody wants to follow you because even though uh, we depicted McDonald as uh, like a gun dealer, McDonald doesn't come to Paris and call me. Uh, you know, Federico, I want to take you on a trial because it's bad advertising for them. So for my generation, it happened the same thing because we were um, awarded in ANSI and now we are here and we're going to, into a lot of film festival. So this is for the image. Um, in my generation, there's, there's a problem with the audio, sort, the soundtrack. In this case, we, have to, we had to pay. Uh, for example, there's uh, an interview of Donald Trump and we had to pay, I had to pay the BBC what they asked for. I had to negotiate with them because of course they first asked me a lot of money, but then we reached an agreement. But for using the soundtrack, you need to pay. There are some soundtrack audio sources who are not, uh, who are free from rights. For example, the Hitler speech, because nobody claimed for Hitler speeches basically. <laughs> so that's free. But uh, the, B, the interview, <laughs> well, the interview of Mr. Trump on BBC, that, that belongs to the BBC. So you have to ask them the permission to use this. But normally, when you first do a film, uh, you don't clean the rights. At, you, don't need, you don't have to clean the rights before doing the stuff. You do this and then you do this all along. But you need to clean them, of course. So this is what I had to do. 
Thank you guys very much uh, for joining us, and uh, another round of applause for the filmmakers. Much gratitude to all the filmmakers who participated in the Q&A and shared their experience and insights with us. Listening in has doubtless fueled a rapacious appetite for more. Well, have I got links for you. Get ready to read and see more of the making of Black Earth Rising, as well as their many other incredible projects. You can see the work of Studio AKA at studioaka.co.uk. You can check out Stephen McNally's work with Blinkink over at blinkink.co.uk, also stephenmcnallydraws.com. The wonderful and inspiring world of H5 can be explored at h5.fr, and Nama Nazaria can be found on Vimeo, vimeo.com slash n-a-a-m-a-n-a-z. Yunju Arachoi is also on Vimeo, at the somewhat formal URL of vimeo.com slash user 26051708. She's also on Instagram at Arachoy underscore artist. And Rachel Phillips' site is rachelphillip.com. That's Rachel spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And with that, our Minnesota series comes sadly to a close. Thanks for sticking around. Hope you got a kick out of it. And special thanks to animation programmer Kieran Argo for all his fabulous work getting the program put together, and for bringing me on board again. Also, thanks to Ewan Dunford over at The Watershed for recording this episode's final Q&A session for us. Of course, there's plenty more animation coverage to be found over at our website, squiggly.com. We're also on Twitter, at squiggly, and Instagram, at squigglyanimation. Also, facebook.com slash squigglymagazine. For crying out loud, why deny yourselves? Follow them all. I've been Ben Mitchell, and until our paths cross again, happy animating. Mm -hmm.